Welcome, everyone, to the Ad.Podcast. This is Vaughn Vernon, your host, and I have with me today Fran Mendez. Fran is, among other notable things, he's the founder of the Async API project, and we'll learn more about that. And we're going to talk about Async API and event-driven architecture today because that's uh, a real specialty of, of his, the, those two topics. So welcome to the podcast, Fran. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for, for the invitation in, in the first place. So yeah, as you said, my name is from Mendes and I work as a business director of a SNKP initiative and and uh, also working on uh, as a director of engineering at Postman currently. Yeah, so Postman has become, the company has become your uh, Async API sponsor, right? And you've brought your team in. Yeah. So yeah, I will say that um, it's more than a sponsor, right? So there are multiple companies sponsoring Async API, but some of them, uh, including including Postman, are doing a bit more, actually much more, which is hiring people full-time to work on Async API, exclusively on, on Async API. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're 12 people on my team working exclusively on Async API at Postman. So, so that, is, that is really cool. That is really valuable. And, um, and yeah, and we also have Solas who have people working part-time uh, on Async API, which is also super valuable. And it's always, um, it's always, uh, you know, like it's, it's a blast, right? So, because you need, you need time, you need engineering time, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm well acquainted with uh, um, open source <laughs> products and, <laughs> and projects. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you've, you've accomplished something that uh, we were unable to with Zoom. And that's get like a major, I guess not even sponsor, but beyond sponsor, I guess. Um, I don't know, like a little ecosystem to, to work within or something. Yeah. So that's great. Um, can you tell us what, what is async API? First of all, it, it, it sounds like open API maybe, but a little bit different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the inspiration is actually coming from open API, right? So, that I was working on a product uh, that uh, was mainly based on OpenAPI, relying completely on, on OpenAPI. And um, so I was very proficient with OpenAPI at the time. And, um, and, we, and I saw that we don't, didn't have anything like this for messaging protocols like RabbitMQ, right? So, uh, and I'm saying RabbitMQ because that's what I was using at the time, right? So, so yeah, I, I decided to create Async API. It was more like an experiment or side project if you want. Um, and um, and I, I called it Async API because yeah, it, it looked a lot like Open API because it was because Async API itself looks a lot like Open API, but um, for asynchronous uh, communication, right? Uh, synchronous APIs if you want. And um, and yeah, so Async API started as a specification, and um, and one or two tools just to generate code and docs. But what is Async API today? So Async API today is a, I would say it's a huge initiative. It's a it's a growing community of people. It's um, you know it's mainly it's mostly the people, right? But all, of course we still have 
the, the, the spec, the tools. We have a bunch of tools, lots of tools. <laughs> Way too many, I would say that. I don't even, uh, I cannot even track, uh, track them all. And, um, and that is really cool because that means that the community is super active and they're, uh, they're experimenting super quickly. And, uh, and yeah, so Async API today is, 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 a, is a huge community. It's a vibrant community, as, as you uh, used to say. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's what I would say. But Async API, the spec, it's, uh, it's, it's precisely this specification to define asynchronous communication using asynchronous protocols or messaging protocols. Um, of course, you can still use HTTP, but uh, the main target, I would say, is uh, is messaging protocols, right? So the idea is to define this kind of uh, this kind of interactions, like who's publishing a message to a broker, who's subscribing, who's uh, doing this, doing that. What's the name of the channel? Um, you know, where is the broker located? Where can I find it? What what do I need to do to connect to the server? Do I need to provide some credentials? Which type of credentials? Um, all these details that you might need to consume, to start consuming or producing messages to a broker or, or a WebSocket server or something like that. It's uh, a bit different. Although if you, if you look at um, an open API spec file and an async API spec file, just in terms of the, the YAML that's used and every, you know, at a quick glance, you might say, oh, that's an a open API you know, specification and it's not, but um, so people would probably be familiar with the, the kind of uh, file, I guess, format and, and schema that you're using, but um, how does it differ? Like, so you're not, not necessarily um, using uh, like URLs to say, this is what, you know, th this is how the, the um, request is being made. And you're not describing necessarily body payload of the messages and things like that, right? Or is that, or is that uh, untrue? That's partially true. <laughs> so uh, also we don't we don't define URLs like uh, per se. We def we we start with um, with channel channel um, names channel names for those who are familiar with Kafka. Or RabbitMQ, this is what, and MQTT as well, this is what's usually called topics. So, so yeah, we start by defining this, the channels, and then inside each, cha each channel, you can define um, the message that's going to be uh, either sent or received or published or might subscribe um, there. And you can define the message payload, you can define the message headers. Um, or you can just opt to leave them empty and undefined, right? So uh, some people opt to or chooses to to not to do it because um, it's not relevant for them. They just want to have a list of topics or channels. They want to they want to have this list, but they're not really interested in the content of these topics or these messages. So so yeah. Uh, it's weird. It's usually the opposite. Usually, people are interested, um, but it's it's a case, and uh, and of course there is uh, another part of the spec that um, um, allows you to to say like so this application is sending a message to 
there's uh, this channel or this topic and it's subscribing to this other topic or this other channel so so yeah that's a that's mainly what an async API does describing the whole the whole set of things including the message payload which can be done through um, JSON schema and, and Avro as well, random data types. So it's not coupled to any specific schema language. Yeah. So at one point, I guess you can kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of have a layout of your um, messaging topography or something like that, topology, where you have um, this is this is who this this service is talking to this service through, you know, this um, channel and this particular broker, and here are the credentials. Or, you know, yeah. So, um, so then, what? I mean, you okay? You said you were working on a project that used RabbitMQ, and you didn't have something like OpenAPI for messaging, um, but that doesn't explain exactly why you thought you needed it, right? What what was it about, um, what what was missing to you that you really needed that you thought open API or what, what became async API would uh, help you with in the same way that open API does um, with REST? So, so initially what happened is that we were building, we were in the very, very beginning of uh, building our microservice architecture. So, um, we started out with um, probably three or four services, more or less. I don't recall exactly, but uh, it was just three or four services. And uh, from there, up to um, 20 services or around 20 services, it only took us like a month. Right? So in, in a month, we, we, we went from four to 20. Right, and we were going to add more because of the granularity of uh, of each of the of the services, and that's the problem. Like uh, it was an explosion, and we were expecting more explosion, right? More uh, number of uh, um, of microservices to be to be added and and to be maintained and changed over time, right? So we needed documentation. We were documenting them manually, but at some point. Um, yeah, this this microservices evolve, right? These microservices usually uh, change. They change the message payload, the message headers, whatever that they're sending to to the broker, and that's uh, um, that's uh, impossible to maintain, right? Uh, um, manually, even. so so yeah. And um, aside aside from that, what happened as well is that. Um, most of the services, because we were using um, the same framework and the same language for all of them, we were a young startup so, and small startup. So uh, we were using basically the same technology stack for each of the services. So we wanted to um, we wanted to generate um, most of the code, right? So each of the services were looking almost identical, except the business logic in each of these services, the rest of the code was was the same. Like 90% of the code of the service was always the same, independently of the microservice. So, so yeah, it was 
it, it was insane that we had to maintain all of them, right? All of this, um, all of this code in each of the microservices. And uh, if there was a new version of one of the libraries of the framework, you have to update it in all of them and make sure that it's uh, updated in all of them. So we wanted to somehow have a tool that whenever you created a new microservice, uh, it could be generated to be exactly or almost exactly as the rest without uh, having to worry so much about this boilerplate code and you could focus on, on business logic. Um, and that's precisely why we, do, why we did it, right? Like why, why I did this uh, specification and why we implemented it um, in the company at the time, right? So, so that we could be more, let's say, agile, right? In the in a good sense that we, we could we could uh, we could develop faster because we were a small startup, as I was saying. So our resources were limited. Our time was really limited. So, so yeah, that was mainly the reason. Good. Thanks for explaining. And um, now, when say that you have, you know, like you said, you start out with three microservices and you use a YAML file to describe the way that the messaging works between these three microservices. Does each microservice have its own YAML and you kind of have an include that references those? How do you individually describe services and also how do you put them together as a, as a whole? So yeah, that's um, that's precisely the model. Each of the services has its own AsyncKPA file, either YAML or JSON, and um, and that's um, that was usually in the same GitHub repo, along with the code, and along with other documentation or other other stuff. So we quickly realized <laughs> that uh, that wasn't a smart decision, I would say. Because um, yeah, it's cool that the SMTP file is along with the code, and it's it can be maintained by each of the teams that it's maintaining the service itself. That's really cool. But um, unlike REST APIs or HTTP APIs, and uh, in this case of an API, um, the communication is um, so that the the messages that you are sharing with other services via broker. Is, is shared precisely, right? So the same definition that it's going to be used in one of the microservices for a specific message will have to be defined again in another ACTP file on the other service or in multiple services. So, so what we did in, in this case is that we, we started managing a GitHub repo of common definitions of messages, message definitions, right? Because uh, we realized that the messages were not actually owned by any of the services. Uh, if you want, you can say that the producer is the owner of the of the message. But in some cases, you have multiple producers. <laughs> so, so who's who's the owner, right? Which team is the owner of this message? So no one is, or all of them are. So, um, so yeah. So we put it on a like in a central registry. There were no, there were not uh, any schema registers at the time. So so we put it on a GitHub repo and we started referencing these definitions from the from the SMTPA file, right? From each of the SMTPA files. Which is cool uh, that you actually asked that because um, on version three 
uh, of async API, which is which we're releasing in June this this year, um, we actually took care of this as well. And um, there is a new kind, if you want, new kind of async API document that allows you to um, to serve as a registry of the of messages of uh, reusable objects, right? So something that you could that doesn't have any operations, it doesn't have send or receive or publish or subscribe, nothing like that. It just represents a set of reusable objects that you can share across async API files. And um, and I think we we think that this represents a cool opportunity for schema registries to, to integrate with, right? So starting with Confluence schema register, instance, they they're integrating with uh, with its API as well. So 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 yeah, it's a an Epicure as well from Red Hat. They already did actually. So so yeah, it's a, it, I think it's it's going to become a, a a powerful a powerful moment, right? Of reusability, if you want. So, so yeah. Which and now I forgot if you asked that or <laughs> what was the question. <laughs> Yeah. So no, that that was exactly uh, I think on the lines of so so you kind of have this import or include kind of thing. Now that that does open yet another little potential gotcha or complexity, and that is versioning of each schema, right? So now can you can you use this um, sort of you know, project wide or or um, system wide description file or registry file? to also describe versions so that one service could be dependent on this version and a different service could be mm-hmm. dependent on another. And that, that way, a breaking, well, not necessarily even a breaking change, but a unnecessary change for one service, they can still consume the newer uh, schema. Da, da, da. You, you get what I'm saying. How does that work? Yep. So, um, this is not managed by SMTPI in any way. So what we do instead is we provide uh, a way for, for developers to reference the, the schema uh, definition. And uh, there is a version field on an SMTPI file itself. So you can version your SMTPI file as a whole, but not each of the independent messages that are being consumed or published on each of the channels. But that's the cool thing. And that's why I was saying, like, it introduces lots of new uh, potential cool things, right? Uh, with uh, integration with uh, schema registries. And it's that schema registries do support versioning, right? And uh, this versioning is usually included in the HTTP URL that you can use to grab the schema remotely, right? So, in the URL or in the headers or depending on the on the schema registry. So that's how we handle it, actually. Like we leave it to the schema registries, to those who want to version the, the messages, to actually reference it from the SMTPA file. So in the SMTPA file, you will just put an HTTP URL pointing to the schema registry to specific message schema, right? A specific hour definition or this schema definition. And uh, it will contain the version, right? It will be to a specific version, so you can link to any of uh, any of them. Actually, that said, your code will need to be <laughs> ready to uh, accommodate it, right? So you need to be sure that each one, each each of the services, even though you're subscribing to a specific um, version of a message, 
you need to be able to, uh, if, if you specify that on a single topic, on a single channel, you might receive multiple versions of the same message. Every service needs to be uh, aware that this might happen and uh, it will only process those messages of the version that you need. So you need to be flexible parsing the messages because <laughs> it might not contain the structure or the information that you need because it's another version. So it's a future version that you didn't have, uh, update yet, right? So that's, uh, that's one way. The other way um, that I started doing uh, early on um, with Async API, and actually it was part of Async API, but I, I removed it from the spec because it was causing a lot of confusion. Um, it was um, like a, if you want a specification or a naming convention for, for topic names, right? For, for queue names, for topic names, or channel names, if you want. So, like an, uh, a set of rules that you could that you could follow in order to to actually um, to actually have meaningful um, topic names. It was including along with the version. It was including the organization that was producing these messages, the uh, or the owner of this uh, the topic, right? So the, the organization that is the owner of the topic. The department inside the specific that specific organization that's the owner of this topic. Uh, like I said, I don't recall exactly all the parts, but it was like um, the version, um, the um, the name of the topic itself. Like I said, that um, uh, a new product has been uh, um, ordered, something like that. Product ordered, something like that. And um, and precisely because not all of the topics were events, or or, or it was it were they were containing events. Uh, some of them were containing commands as well. So uh, you could actually add instead of product order ordered right, with the ed at the end in past. Um, instead of that, what what I was suggesting is that you do product dot ordered right so and the dot was to 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 separate uh, to separate um, um to separate the topic name from the action or event name so for instance if you want to have an event uh, topic you will do product dot ordered but if it's a command and you're actually sending a command not an event it would be product dot ordered without the EV at the end, right? So it's an action, it's a command. And uh, along with that, you could add more stuff like um, succeeded, failed, um, completed, um, so that you could have different topics for different kind of uh, life cycle uh, stages of an event, right, of an operation, uh, if you want. So, so yeah. But it was causing more confusion. I removed it, as I said, because it was causing more confusion. People thought in the beginning that you had to actually name your topics like this to use, use async API. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is, just a, <laughs> this is just a suggestion that I'm using myself. And I think it's cool because then, because you're following the topic, uh, the, name, the naming convention, you could parse topic name and actually quickly get uh, meta information like, Who's the owner? What's the what's the version and so on, right? So 
So you could automate stuff on top of on top of that. And um, and yeah, but uh, like I said, I, I I still keep it on my personal GitHub account that work that I did. But uh, yeah, I didn't talk about it anymore <laughs> because yeah, it was confusing lots of people. But yeah, that's another that's another option. You version the the topics um, put in the version on the topic name itself. Uh, that's one way. So there's no failure, right? Uh, if you subscribe to this topic, you're always going to receive this version. Um, of course, it it has downsides because if you iterate quickly, you'll end up with <laughs> ten or twenty topics, uh, uh, you know, doing the same thing, and that's uh, it's a waste of resources and, and and it's expensive, right? It can be expensive at scale. So, so yeah, and and just confusing. And confused. Yeah, yeah. Like who's using who's using what? Yeah. <laughs> so now let's uh, talk a little bit about the fact that you used YAML, and I don't know. You know, some people just seem to be like, "Oh yeah, YAML is just another you know, yet another markup language." <laughs> um, uh, but <laughs> you know, it can be a little squirrely, as we can say in in the United mm-hmm. States. You know, it's like kind of finicky about spaces and things like that. And, and a lot of people aren't really attuned to, you know, spaces being important and and so forth. And so how do you tame the YAML? How, what, what kind of tools should we use so that the YAML sort of doesn't really matter? All that we're worried about is, um, you know, describing our, our uh, uh, topics and cues and, and, routings and and even message schemas and things like that How, what do we do i don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> you, just, you just get used to it <laughs> you just i got it. used to it because yeah the other option was json and i was like ah, no that's even worse <laughs> so because i'm <laughs> gonna type a bunch of more things and, and that's slower so so yeah i feel you like it's I don't think that this is just uh, you get used to it. Um, uh, I experimented after after that, after releasing async KPI, I experimented with Tomel as well. But Tomel can be a big mess in yeah. the very moment you you nest things in, yeah. inside each other in multiple at multiple levels. So and XML was just like too verbose, like even more verbose oh, than yeah. than. Than Jason, right? So and then, that was like, uh, I think it's a, yeah. and, it's a necessary uh, evil, right? <laughs> Yamu is a necessary evil, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone, so, someone conclude that uh, they their uh, site might be impaired by angle brackets. You know, if you're using XML, <laughs> so um, you know, <laughs> it's it's not the funnest uh, document description to to read. But it is a true document <laughs> description, you know, and and it is. so, yeah, it and and this, it's powerful. It 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 contains features that JSON don't have, and yeah. and that's uh that's actually and and before before you jump to another question, like I would like to add that um because I don't fully like YAML, uh, <laughs> I'm I've been experimenting with other formats, and there is one which is called Cado, uh, and that is confusing because there are two names like that, but spelled differently. 
Uh, one is from Microsoft, which is C A D L, Cadel, and uh, the one. But the one that I'm referring to is is K D L, which is also pronounced Cadel, and K D L is Kindle-like um, mix of YAML and JSON, but looks a little bit like um, somehow uh, looks like the um graphql schema language as well a little bit it has the xml it has xml functionalities as well or xml features which is cool and i must say that i am liking Cadel a lot so i may propose in the future that uh, we start supporting this new format as well as another option right as, a, as another presentation layer if you want because in the end, JSON will be the default for, for tools. And uh, YAML, Cadel, and um, whatever else you want to invent, uh, it's just a presentation layer. As, as long as it can be converted down to JSON, which is what we do in every tool, um, you can use whatever you want, actually. We don't, we don't yeah. care. So, so yeah. So, so interesting. You're, you're even taking the YAML and turning it into JSON. Yeah, that's what we do. We don't support YAML per se. It's yeah, it's just that uh, we, we, we say it in the, in the spec in the beginning. We say that we only support the YAML features that can be uh, converted to JSON, right? Um, so there are no references or pointers that you can use in, in YAML and other uh, magical things, um, which might be useful. But yeah, like we don't support YAML per se. We support JSON. That's what we uh, ask people to support. YAML is just uh, um, another, yeah, another presentation that you want for for the information, yeah. and and so it's uh, it's relevant. So so if we went on the scale of evil to good, um, you know, XML in terms of I don't know read readability <laughs> usability very strong in some ways, but bad and others and, and then we take maybe a step up and Jason is less evil but still you know like getting there and then YAML is maybe in ways you know it, it's at least less verbose now KDL is it like good or just less evil this is what I'm driving at <laughs> um, I would say it's 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 more let's say it's better than, than YAML in the sense so it will, it will be in the direction of good <laughs> not okay. iteration of evil, okay. right? So, and 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 now that actually that you ask that and you mentioned uh, XML, like uh, the evil example, <laughs> I would say to me that's not the 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 worst one, right? So Tomel to me uh, for this kind of situation, not for plain configuration files, is cool. Um, but in this case, Tomel will be even more evil and difficult to. to yeah. Uh, and to consume, so, yeah. and, and XML was just never meant to host, you know, objects, and that's how we were mostly using them. You know, for using XML for however many years we thought that that was a good idea, and you know, and yeah. and and then, you know, and, and then someone was like, "Yeah, but this isn't really <laughs> describing objects very well," and and you need, like, you know, five times as many bytes or characters to describe what you want to do than the actual data and you know or, or probably even worse than that i don't know probably you know um 
maybe a magnitude worse, you know, more characters. I don't know, but it, it's just, um, yeah, we're probably talking about YAML too much, but I, I have just, I have to say, I have to look at KDL because I have never really seen a configuration format that I like, never, you know, that I really go like, wow, this is like, I would really not hate doing this, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I felt that. that. That's what I felt with Kettle, actually. Like, oh, like, like this is, I mean, it's not perfect. It's, it's not, it's not, never going to be perfect. It has decisions uh, that I may or may not agree, uh, but that I respect and I understand why these decisions were made. So, and I still agree that it's better than uh, than Yammer or Jason. So I think it's a win, and and I hope it gets uh, more popular. So Kat Kat Marchand is actually the the developer behind it. So yeah, yeah, I'll take, I'll take a look. I would I would like to see that. Um... So you said that you have so many tools that you don't really know all of them, which happens, right? Some people say, oh, this would be really cool or, um, you know, I, I need this. And so they develop it. They, they leave it open for the or offer it openly to the community. Um, but what are some of the tools where you say you really shouldn't? live without these tools like what are they and what do they do for you when you're using async api so i will say that the main one is my beloved uh, generator <laughs> and i say beloved because that that was my main my first tool and it's still there uh, growing it's mainly stable we're not adding so many features anymore but the generator uh, it just allows you to generate anything uh, from an async API file. And I say anything because it's based on templates. So that depends on what what's on your template. You can provide your own templates, right? So say it's just it's just like a template template engine on top of Nunjack and React as well. So so yeah you can actually generate anything from an async API file. You use async API as an input, you um, execute the template and it produces an output, right? Which could be multiple files actually not just one file and you and, must have um, a collection of templates that cover a lot of yeah. different situations yeah, yeah exactly exactly so the generator is just uh, like the engine providing that uh, functionality and the real value i would say it's on the templates themselves and we maintain an html template markdown template node.js template java template um java spring uh, Spring Cloud Spring Template, Spring Boot Template. <laughs> there are uh, Go Template. Uh, there are many, you know, templates for each of the languages, which might they may not be perfect. They're not for sure, and they will never be. That's the thing. Like uh, it's it's never going to be perfect because uh, people like different styles of coding and different uh, uh, ways to structure their their code. But it's a cool way to get started. To have something quickly, you write an async API file and you quickly have some working code that you can actually run immediately, right? So, and you have docs as well in HTML or in Markdown. So that is that is really cool. And um, and I know from some companies that uh, they have their own you know, internal templates. They maintain them. And they don't share with the community, but uh, yeah, that's and they have the code that they need. Uh, and uh, 
they structure their, their templates, their code generation in the way they, they like. Um, so that is, to mention, I would say that's, uh, that's probably the, the, the biggest one, right? Now, um, it has drawbacks. So this way of working has, um, has a many drawbacks. I was an important drawbacks that people should not be forgetting. Um, or avoiding, which is um, the very moment, say, and I'm not talking about generator or templates, I'm talking about the way of working, you know, the getting, creating an SMTP file and generating code from it, or the opposite, uh, writing your code, writing annotations on your code, and that will generate the SMTP file so that you can then generate documentation and blah, 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 and integrate with other, other tools. Those two ways, which are usually referred to as uh, design first and code first, um, they have major issues, in my opinion, both of them, which is um, the very moment you generate, uh, you generate code from an SMTP file, or the very moment you generate an SMTP file from your code, there is a drift happening there, uh, meaning that you might um, not maintain your SMTP file properly, but you maintain your code, or you maintain uh, the SMTP file, but with, or not that you maintain, but you make changes to your SMTP file, but they don't fully re uh, um, reflect the logic that you have written in the code. And uh, and that's a problem, right? Because what you end up with is with a with a system, right? With a collection of assets that are not in sync, and that's a problem. Like you might, uh, you will end up having documentation that is not reflecting the reality. It's saying something different than what the code is doing, and that can be really tiring and really frustrating for people. And that is actually that is happening very frequently because people just write code. They like to write code, and they may have annotations or they may not, or they may they may maintain the annotations or they or they may not, right? So or they may not do it properly. Like I mean, I'm thinking here uh, like JS Doc or Java Doc, right? Like uh, how many times we ha have we seen this problem with these two tools, right? Like you can annotate your code with Java Doc. Or JS doc, um, but yeah, how many times have you changed the the meaning of something of a function of a method of, of a class or something, but you didn't update the, the docs, oh, right? One uh, one nice thing uh, though is to have a build that says, ah, your your uh, Java doc doesn't match your signature. You know, essentially, that, and that's pretty. Uh, easy. I'm not even oh, sure yeah, how yeah, we yeah, have that working on Zoom, but it uh, I have to look at how we do that, but it, it literally in the build, maybe it's just, maybe it's just Javadoc itself. Maybe that's just one of the yeah. things, maybe it's a switch on Javadoc. I don't remember, but yeah. And, yeah. and I, because I forget to do that sometimes and, and, or, or even just initially, right? Like, oh, you didn't describe this um, <clears throat> parameterized list or something like that. Oh, okay. I got to go add that into the, um, into the annotation yeah. and, so it's, 
yeah, I, I really dislike annotations, but annotations in Java doc is okay. <laughs> you know, it's, you, it's fun, <laughs> I guess. So, there, so we, we provide, so there are some libraries there that provide support for uh, annotating your code so it, it can produce an SMTK file out of this annotation. But, uh, but again, like it, the, the problem with this that we're seeing is that uh, most people don't have this uh, automation in place, right? Uh, there's uh, continuous integration systems in place that will check for the validity of this, that will make sure that the signature is the same as uh, the one that you defined there, and um, not to mention the human readable fields like description or summary, which is not, uh, I'm not gonna say it's impossible to parse, but yeah, there will be, we will have to be adding AI systems there, <laughs> AI technology to, to understand what it's written there and, and see if it makes sense, right? So, <clears throat> sorry. So, but that's what I mean that, it's a, it's a complex scenario because you end up in a complex scenario because uh, developers get frustrated that uh, things can quickly drift, you know, like the code and the documentation. So, But it's really just a matter of using the tools the way that they were meant to, giving attention to details. Right? Just <laughs> the, in other words, yeah. well, you, you don't offer the right uh, data, you're going to get not great output from it, you know, or you'll, you'll yep. get inconsistency. So, yeah, but really developers should, should, um, have that discipline kind of built in and, and, you know, if they're going to use these tools, use them correctly. Otherwise just don't use them because you're not, yeah. you know, may, maybe, maybe you're actually hurting things more than you're benefiting them. Indeed, and, and, and actually, this is my battle uh, in the last year. It's like, you should be doing things correctly, whatever. Either way, like, if you do design first, uh, instead of uh, annotating your code, you should also be more disciplined, right? And there should be um, automation in place to, to alert you that there's something that is not right and so on. But... Um, so it's it's human it's a human factor after all, right? Sure, yeah. sure. But how I, I, <laughs> uh, you sure, but I, I don't I don't understand how someone can come to your team and say, Well, this tool isn't good because it what, it doesn't read their mind? Is that you know, sort of you know what I'm saying? Like or yeah. should there be should should the part of the the parser um, recognize or, or the compiler, you know, the generator, whatever the compiler uh, should say, oh, you, you know, you're missing this here, or I haven't seen this, therefore, you know, maybe that's an answer, but that just really complicates the, or adds a lot of complexity to the generator. And of course, you would like to keep those things mm -hmm. as simple as possible. So, yeah, it's a I, I completely agree. It's the, thing, the thing is that nobody's complaining to me about that. Uh, just uh, saying, so that's something that I that I observe. So nobody's come to me and say like, oh. "Your tool, your tool sucks because it doesn't do this or that." Is like this so is your that, own critique. But, it's like I wish this worked better. Okay. Yes, that's exactly. That's, that's, I, that's, I, I, I wish. I, I would prefer to hear that than this. Hear people coming to an open source project and saying, you know. The, it should read my mind, but that's not yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, but then the reason I'm and the reason I'm bringing that this topic is that 
there has been this debate, at least in the Open API uh, field, uh, which is uh, it's are you a design first or a, or a code first person, right? And um, and I think this this is a false dichotomy. Right? So there are other ways of doing things here, which uh, uh, and this is what I call and it's not invented invented by me. Um, spec first if you want or spec as a config file if you want right i, I don't have a name yet so it's just uh, it is it's basically what graphql is doing or grpc are doing like um the code will have to uh, match the schema definition because uh the code itself is going to load the schema definition into memory and it's going to parse it and it's going to use it as a, as a way to understand where it needs to be listening to what kind, in the case of GraphQL, what kind of uh, queries or mutations you might uh, receive. And, and then the only thing that you have to do is just link them to, to the logic, to the business logic behind them. Right? So if you do it, if you do schema first in this case, right? So I think this approach is very interesting because it uh, prevents uh, developers from this uh, drift that I was talking about. Like if if the frameworks out there will actually support loading this API file to understand where it will be connecting to, where it will be publishing the message, where it will be subscribing to, and all these details, you will not need annotations at all. Right, because the async debate file itself is your annotation. So, and I just have to interject. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you only write it. <laughs> so you only write it in one place, and uh, the the only thing that you need is just a, a way to bind your async debate file to your specific class method that is going to do this operation. And we have that. We have, and, uh, and actually, uh, OpenAPI also has that, which is it's called Operation ID. So, so that you can use this field to tell the code that uh, the function or the class method or whatever uh, your language is that is going to perform this operation. It's called like this, or it's in this class, and this is the name of the method. That's it. And the frameworks will actually be doing that thing for you. So, so we created Bleed. A framework, uh, a dating API, which is not yet in version one, but we're moving quickly. And uh, and to to prove that it actually works, and uh, and actually to prove that it actually works is uh, the proof that it actually works is that um, you write your dating API file, and the next thing that you have to do is just write your business logic, the functions that that are going to handle the message. Or the function that it that it's actually going to send a message. That's it. Um, you don't have to do anything else. Because how to connect to a Kafka broker? How to connect to a RoutingQ broker? How to connect to an ActiveMQ or an MQTT broker or whatever? It's always the same. It's always the same. No matter the language, no matter the framework, right. you should be connected in some way. So. Um, and all the details that you need to configure these uh, connections is can be defined on the API file or along with the with the config file on the framework, right? So you were going to say something. Oh, I, I was just um, going to say that I I try to convince people that they shouldn't be writing those things all the time; that they should be 
generated because maybe it's interesting to learn once and then maybe the second time you're going, oh yeah, yeah, now I remember that was, you know, you got to do that too. And then the third time you're going, why am I doing this again? You know, like what, what, like, could we have maybe, oh, some software do that for us? Yeah. But I, I can't understand why people just seem to think that they're going to get some value out of that other than just the fact that it has to be done. Right. That, you know, you're it's, just, you, you can, you can rewrite that stuff or whatever it is that you're tinkering with. It's just not going to change anything. Right. And, and that's the silliness of, when when people start thinking of oh code generation wait a minute no that code generation is bad no actually <laughs> it's either that or libraries and or both that are that should take care of yeah. it for you right so. yeah yeah i agree and and actually this is uh, and it's funny that you say that i i actually got a um a major pushback uh, during the history of async api against the uh, generated code so we actually make a made the generator to support continuous generation so that you can be uh, you, you generate once the code you start writing your logic but a month after you might change your async API file and, and you should be regenerating again on top of the existing code so so generator is cap is capable of uh, taking care of uh, things like this and and not overwriting your existing code not breaking it uh, and uh, and we what we did is it, it just integrates with Git, right? In this case, so, so I, it will if it's not a Git repo, it will not generate on top of your project. Just in case, it will uh, you will have to actually use force to generate uh, and and overwrite your previous changes. But um, what we did is that you have mechanism to. Uh, generate on top of Git, so it produces changes, but they are not. Um, you will not lose anything because you can al always discard these changes using Git, and and also mechanisms to uh, avoid overwriting certain paths of your of your project. So don't touch that folder because this is where all my uh, logic is, and don't touch it. Uh, don't <laughs> don't overwrite anything there, right? or don't touch these this, uh, routes, this set of routes, these are not going to change, which is not ideal uh, because you still need to do a, a lot of manual work that it's like, uh, again, I prefer to just copy and paste the code myself and, and put it there and, and that's it. And, 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 that's when, and I find it funny that developers uh, usually uh, feel this hate against uh, generated code. And, uh, can understand to some degree because we've seen really bad generated code in our uh, life, but, uh, yeah, but, but most, yeah, that's... Yeah, mostly the argument that I hear though is, uh, well, if code gets generated, how are we gonna get paid? Well, you move up oh, the food no. chain, right? It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> is that what you, you really wanna get paid for doing the same thing you know, 100 times until you retire or, or something like that. I don't know. Oh, no. It's just, yeah, I, that, that uh, is illogical to me. So yeah. that, that is, that is a really short, shite uh, vision of, uh, of software engineering because yeah. it's like thinking that the project is going to end up there. 
like after I finish this, I'm I'm lost. I I lose my job. Um, you're not, never gonna get banned uh, building a product or or a tool. It's it's never finished. So so yeah, and as long as there is business, um, actually it's gonna be the opposite. If you are faster, uh, then your company is actually going to pay you more because <laughs> yeah. you're del- delivering more. Uh, so, so yeah. And if your company is not doing that, then you probably should switch companies. So yeah, maybe, so, maybe yeah. some, maybe some consulting companies are thinking, well, that's less billable hours or something. I don't know. It's just like, to me, uh, it, it's, it's like, oh, if we get this done really quickly and it's really, really solid, you know, it, it, the, there are very few bugs or, you know, the, 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 our customer, our client just has no trouble with it, they're going to give us more work, right? That's how I view it. And it's going to be more interesting. Maybe we'll get even more, you know, complex kinds of problems to work on. And, you know, instead of just the stuff that they don't want to do in-house, right? So, you know, they're really coming to you for expertise now, not just stuff that they don't want to do. And and on top of that, like, no, uh, nobody is saying that you should use our templates. So you can create your own templates of code. And if you don't like our, our generated code, uh, or you think that uh, you need, yours is better, but you still don't want to uh, contribute back, then create your own templates. It's, it's always going to be faster than, than um, doing the same thing over and over, especially if you're repeating the same code uh, in multiple places, right? In multiple uh, in multiple microservices or in multiple applications, it's going to be tiring. It's, it's it's nonsense. So so yeah, and 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 like I said, like we're we're trying this new concept uh, of framework, which is like I said, it's not uh, invented by us. The concept itself. Uh, so gRPC and GraphQL are doing the same, um, but that's a very uh, that's a very limited uh, solution, right? Because this tool is written in, in TypeScript. It's using, it allows you to write the functions in JavaScript or TypeScript. But if you are a Java person or um, another, or not use another language, whatever, whatever, not, you don't want to use TypeScript or JavaScript, then um, you cannot benefit from it. So, so another initiative that we have on async API is to actually start uh, contributing modules to um, or plugins if you want plugins to other frameworks uh, system frameworks like Spring Boot like Spring Cloud Stream mainly Java right because this is where mainly I would say people are uh, aside from also from Node.js and TypeScript but um, it's Java it's mostly Java all the way down. So um, for, for JVM languages. And um, so Spring Boot is really present in Spring Boot and Spring Cloud Stream. So we're gonna, we're gonna be pushing for that, like uh, to write plugins for these frameworks that will take care of reading this SMPI file. And so that you don't have to write the same logic again and again. And you can just focus in, in writing the business logic, the code that is specific for your case, right? Not the one that you repeat everywhere, right? Or at least 
minimize it to the minimum, right? Um, if it cannot be completely removed, like yeah. the but at least minimize it to the minimum. Well, um, we we took a bit of a tangent there. Not not really. I mean, but a little bit. But I think it was very uh, interesting and, and valuable, at least for people to hear a different opinion if if and why you know this cogeneration can help them um, even if they have a different you know uh, viewpoint of it um, I was going to talk a little bit more about EDA you know event-driven architecture but I think um, you know we're nearly at an hour now and uh, probably reached a limit do you want to just say something in general about um, how async API makes um, EDA more wonderful other yes. than what we've already so, said. <laughs> so actually, um, first of all, for, before I say that, um, we can continue this discussion on the Thinking Out Loud um, uh, episode that, uh, that I, I already invited oh, you to do. Yeah, so yes. we, can, so yeah. we, we'll, we can continue this discussion there. Yeah. And so uh, for we listeners, can actually put it as a, as a continuation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for listeners, Fran has a, a podcast that, uh, we'll we'll get around to him interviewing me on Thinking Out Loud, which is a cool name for a podcast. And um, yeah, so that'd be good. We can continue that there. Then. Yeah. And uh, just to uh, like short uh, sentence, if I can, to say why API improves EBA or how I would say is uh, AsyncUPI allows you to start defining the communication between uh, applications, being it microservices, sensors, or whatever. And um, with this, we can start building tools on top of it with these definitions. Like, for instance, we can start um, building tools like uh, like the ones we mentioned, but also, I would say, products on top of it, right? So products that let you discover where this, uh, who's pushing this message into the broker, um, where is, uh, like, for instance, I need to consume a message where the username or the user email is present because I need to, every time a user signs up in my product, I need to get it. I need to get this message. Is it this? Is this message available somewhere? Let me search for it. So this will be an application that let, that's, lets you search for it. And all these SMPPA files together will serve as an index, right? As a as a source of information that will help you with discovery and with um, things like mm, triggering alerts. Like uh, you're gonna change this message payload, but you're doing a breaking change here, right? So so you're removing one property, for instance, or renaming it. So um, that's gonna affect this, 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 and these services, right? It's actually those. Do you want to contact them? So here's the contact information of this team. Uh, you might want to send an email to all of them that you're going to change this or a notification or whatever, right? So this is the, the, the real power of Facebook API if we, if, if we adopt it, if products adopt it, right? that you can start building things like this, powerful things like this, and you can bring order to the chaos because EDA can be really chaotic and it can grow really quickly. So that's, uh, so, so I think that's the, to me, that's the biggest value. Cool. 
Well, uh, I've, I failed to mention that uh, you're uh, from Spain. You, you live in Spain. And yes. I, I think I love Spain, you know, and uh, it's hard to imagine anybody who wouldn't, but <laughs> there must be a few. But, <laughs> but I, uh, I always like to find out um, what is the food? What's the specialty of food in your area of Spain? You're sort of like South Central uh, of Spain, right? Uh, Not far south, but you're up a little ways from the coast. But uh, yeah, what, far away from the coast. I, I'm actually at the same height, if you want, uh, as Lisbon, but uh, in the border with Portugal. Yeah. So it, the name of the city is Badajoz, so Badajoz, depending on uh, your accent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the specialty here, I will say, and the one that I love is gazpacho. So gazpacho uh, is is a tomato soup. That, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a grown name for gazpacho, I will say, because <laughs> tomato is not really the, but it's the, cold. the main Most, thing there. Yeah, mostly It's cold, cold tomato soup, yeah. And it's, it's excellent. So, uh, yeah, I... Um, you just got to be careful. You know, it's so delicious that you want to just have a lot of it, but it can be a really dangerous, you know, if you do that. I, I'll leave, you know, the, that uh, maybe as an experiment to others if they don't know. But yeah, I and, and I, I would say we uh, we visited Malaga, um, oh, seems like a lifetime ago. But um, yeah, that's sort of a specialty there too, along with the, the yeah, coastal fish. Yeah, Spain. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, wonderful. So... And and some cerveza always goes well, or maybe a wine. Yeah, so, um, uh, so actually, my region is the region of wine. I would say yeah. one of them actually, and 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 ham, right, and jamón, ah, right. The, but everywhere the, in Spain, you know, it's the, the, yeah. So yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, but they're mostly produced here, and then they sell on they're ah. sold on, uh, on anywhere anywhere, right? So this ah. this region where I'm at is famous because we have the best jamón uh, jamones. You know, uh, and in the world, actually. So, so yeah, that would be another specialty, I would say. And and the and the wines are and the olive oil are, are also amazing here. So, so yeah. Fran, I have to visit. We're you. a poor region. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We're a poor region. We don't have many uh, many businesses. We don't have many industry. And most of the things that we have here is related to agriculture. So we're strong on, our, on agriculture. Excellent. Yeah. That's it, it's got to be beautiful there. So hopefully uh, yes. we can yeah. have uh, a meal together sometime and talk about Spain rather than or something else. Waiting for you. Software, so. Waiting for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks again <laughs> for, for sure. uh, um, you know, allowing me to interview you, and I'll look forward to thinking out loud and where uh, we'll see you. Thank you. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye.
If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.